Welcome to the Contractor's Best Friend Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Humphrey. We're sponsored today by Caterpillar. We're also sponsored by 4constructionpros.com. In the studios today, I have with me Jason Hurtis, the Caterpillar quarry and aggregates expert, and Lonnie Fritz, Caterpillar's heavy construction and road building expert. How are you guys doing today? Very good, Brad. It is so good to be back together after all the COVID. Oh, I hear you. (laughs) Indeed it is. Well, all right, let's get down to business. Um, Downtime. Not a very good thing for most construction organizations, something they try to avoid. And there's all kinds of reasons that can cause that. Lately, in fact, just recently, I think, uh, Lonnie, you wrote a, an interesting blog, and I wanted us to talk about that because I thought it was I thought it, it merits our attention. You had six steps in that. And I, I don't necessarily, we don't have to read the article, but take us kind of through that. And give us some insights on how contractors can can maybe reduce that amount, if not eliminate it at times on the downtime side. Yeah, let's start with the fun part, and that's the setup, right? Because that takes me right out to the job site where many of us... That's where we like to live. That's where we like to live, out in the dirt, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the dirt, let's look at the ground, right? Are we on bedrock? Um, What is the soil conditions? What's the underfoot conditions? Because that's really going to tell us how we need to configure that fleet. Got to have a base. That's right. So we're right into undercarriage, right? Do I need an LGP dozer Mm -hmm. or do I need a narrow track machine? So the ground can really lead to unplanned downtime if we're not preparing for what we have. Nonetheless, to look at the water table and are we going to be flirting with the water table or is it way below us where it's not going to be an issue with underfoot conditions? We also look at space. Are we space constrained, confined, or do we have wide open spaces? Because it's also going to kind of tell us what type of machines do we need. Yeah, we need a compact radius. Yeah. Are we greenfield? Yeah. Are we working in an urban sections? Right. A rehab job? We've got track, traffic right alongside of us. The other thing to be considered about here to take a close look at is, is really the material movement. You know, when we set up the job site, where do we need to put those materials? Let's keep it as close to where we need their actual installation point as possible yeah. so we can eliminate rehandling materials. We get paid to handle them or touch them once. It gets very costly to continue uh, to rehandle those materials. Let me, let me pause you for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Jason, you deal with people who only deal with materials. Correct. <laughs> so how does that translate for you? It's, it's the same. I mean, if you're <clears throat> high running materials at the far back of your yard, what are you doing? It's going to take time for the trucks to get there. The loaders are going to have to chase over it. You have to understand your material because your shot's going to change in a quarry. It may change, you know, from face to face. It may change within three feet. And that may affect, you know, GET wear, bucket wear, operator technique your fuel might increase to get that same material loaded. So it applies across. It's even more important in a quarry because of the, like you mentioned, the material management and the control of the materials itself. And you got, in some cases, you probably had limited areas as well. Yeah. I mean, there were not wide open, unlimited spaces and, you know, housing developments are getting closer and closer to quarries and they're going to having to go deeper or they're having to think out of the box to, to get the material they need. I appreciate that Lonnie. I just want to make sure we tag that in there because so many of the materials that we see you and I have dealt with on the job sites, I mean, it's originating and they've got the same problem we do. (laughs) Okay. Let's go on. That would have been step three, maybe? <laughs> well, let's look at step two okay. on, the, on the plan. Oh, wow. I saw for step one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's look at plan maintenance real quick here, yep. Brad, of, of the six steps. Number two is just plan maintenance. And again, um, less downtime, more uptime, as we mentioned, telematics. Um, continue to monitor what that preventive maintenance schedule is. Again, I draw your attention, uh, that being you, the listener, uh, to the intervals. 
because Caterpillar's really extended out those intervals, you know, using those cat lubricants, cat fluids, run your SOS samples, trying to be greener, more sustainable. And again, if we're not pulling those drain plugs as often as we used to, we're going to have more uptime, more machine availability. Um, also, making sure you have those supplies on hand, right? Leverage a, cu- a customer value agreement and uh, have those materials and supplies on hand yeah, for that preventive maintenance. That, it yeah, gets you at the worst absolutely. Time. And right. that dovetails into, you did mention number three there, Brad, and that's telematics. Right. right that full digital visualization into your fleet into your assets like i always say somebody stroked the check for that machine exactly. right they want that machine fully utilized least amount of idle time they also want it taken care of because again back to the topic here that drives down that unplanned downtime mm-hmm. by being a little bit more proactive and taking care of the machine my dad used to have a sticker on his machine said please take care of this machine it'll take care of you you know, one of the things I'd like to ask you about is on that on that thought. One of the things that I have found at times with contractors, if they don't use a piece of equipment very often, they tend to do less maintenance on it because they don't think it needs it. Can you address that, either one of you guys? Yeah, which actually is a is not a good approach to take because it's a guarantee for downtime at, at, at some point. As we know, if it's not operator abuse or using the machine in an improper way. A machine sitting, not being utilized, is usually worse on it than actually being utilized. Well, boys, I got a 64 and a half Mustang in my garage, and if I don't drive it once <laughs> That's a right. week, it will not start two weeks later. Well, it gets mad at you because you have <laughs> it really does. Because it wants to look hot when it's That's out right. there, right? Yeah. That's right. Step four, mandatory walkarounds. Um, we've tried to make this as easy as possible for you um, here at CAT by offering the CAT Inspect app. Yeah. Um, what does the cat inspect app provide to you let's say the operator if you're responsible for doing the walk around it's a checklist it has all those key things that you should be looking at right there on your tablet whatever it may be you're using um you could even use it in the paper form to walk around looking for leaks looking for hoses rubber maybe tire wear looking at those ground engaging tools checking the engine compartment looking over the cab you can capture photos you can send it back to those that have a need to know by a simple click of the button with an email, you know, versus a tablet, pen and paper, losing the pen and paper, you know, and not getting that information back to maybe the fleet manager, right. or the mechanics dispatch, where it may be, it's digital. So it is very critical that you uh, take those mandatory walkarounds um, uh, to heart and, and perform those. We had a situation where radiator caps were not being taken off and you know what happened next. We don't need to say that. Yeah, so that uh, it is definitely not good. And um, so whether you're using the Cat Inspect app or not, it goes back to cultural the, of the business. It goes back to accountability. Who has ownership to do those walkarounds and then making sure the right people get that information. I, I really appreciate, of course, I've always appreciate what you guys bring because when I work with companies, my focus is more on production and performance and those kind of things, but it's the same practical basic stuff. Do your walkabouts. You don't, gremlins come in at night, I'm convinced, that just destroy things. They can store equipment too. Yeah, and I've seen customers go from the once a day walk around to twice a day. You know, they do the pre-shift and then they do a post-shift. <clears throat> and hopefully, <clears throat> excuse me, hopefully that'll give them time to address a problem, you know, overnight. So when they come back in the next morning, it's it's fixed and ready to go. Or like you mentioned, Brad, you know, in the morning, everything was great, but something's changed in the machine throughout the day. It gives them time to address it, helps with parts availability, tech availability. So once a day is important. If you can do it twice a day, you're going to be significantly ahead of the curve. 
You know, guys, and I know you've seen this in multiple places, but the, the best operators I've always seen at the end of using the equipment for the day, while the machine's still hot, I mean, it's still not cooled down yet, they actually begin to do a little bit of a walk around and then also do some cleaning because that's when they find with the metal being hot, they sometimes can take the grease off easier or the, or the yeah. smut that's on there that builds up. And, and I've always appreciated that. And, and those kind of guys are always the ones who the owners want to buy equipment for. When they need, because they know they're going to take care of the equipment. Hey, the fifth step, I think, gets into watching the weather. Yep. Give us some insights on that. As a former project manager, I turned into a meteorologist, Brad. <laughs> some days were easier than yes. others. Some days I just asked the finishers, big... like, how are your knees feeling today? And that was the best guide. But <laughs> becomes your favorite channel on the news channel. It, exactly. Too, exactly. Station, right? where's, he, where's he at? Yeah, Let me go. Exactly. yeah. yeah. But it, 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 again, it's uh, about being proactive, knowing what weather's coming. Yeah. Are you pouring concrete main line? You moving yeah. dirt? What What is the activity that you're doing? How do I prevent the unplanned downtime not so much right now but what impact is that going to have to my schedule to my job site for tomorrow and beyond um so our large earth moving jobs it's all about sealing having positive drainage sealing off that site so you don't have that sponge laying out there per se so it's it's not permeable especially if you're done with the job yeah where where, where backup of water bad elements can 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 really hurt your business very very true and if you feel that mother nature is going to impact that job site yep. where it's going to be down for a day, two days a week, do I move my assets Big to another up. job? Do I go to a job that has pavement removal? Can I get my crews and my machines working or keep them working tomorrow because we're rained out? Conditions aren't conducive, right? right. To meet the budgeted cost to be profitable here. But what about down the road? Well, so then the communication always, comes Yeah, moving is not always possible, but it just I just cringe after a heavy flooding type of rain. And you see equipment out in the middle of a field somewhere that's got three feet of water up on its tires and all that kind of stuff. It's got to be similar in the quarries, right? It is. I mean, you got to watch the weather. The yeah. pits are always the lowest point. Yeah. You want to make sure your pumps are running. You want to make sure the machines are out of there. Your haul roads are good condition. Your ditches are clean and ready to take it. The more you plan for it and the more you build for it, the the more you can work with it because it's unpredictable. And again, the topic for today is the equipment downtime. Obviously, weather contributes to that. And so what we're trying to say is take some preventative measures when you especially start seeing some northerns moving in and getting ready to saturate. All right, let's go to the, the, the sixth. Yeah, number six and the final step is equipment storage. Right. So how do we how do we prevent downtime with equipment storage? It kind of sounds like an oxymoron or what, what are we exactly talking about here? For example, if you're in a snow state, you may have an eight-month construction season. It may even be shorter than that. The machines are going to sit idle. That's sure. intentional. Yeah, that sure. will be 100% by design, right? <laughs> so do we fill top off all fluids, right? Do we make sure the tires are inflated properly? There's a lot of ECMs. You know, there's electronic control modules on these machines today. Shut off the master switch. Disconnect the batteries so you do not have those batteries going bad. If they're going to be in a cold environment, then make sure you even take those out and store those batteries. They're not cheap, right? So you can put them in the next year. So that was a good practice we always had, too. If you're not putting your machines inside an enclosed environment, is sitting outside, don't leave the tracks down the mud or the aggregate. Put them up on some tires. Put them up on some boards. (laughs) Get them up out of the elements where the track is completely removed from contact of the actual ground. That's all. That's that's just gold, Jason. I really wanted to get your input because you know a quarry just isn't always easy to adapt to that kind of stuff. So how, how do these guys in the quarries do this? How do you how do you get equipment ready for the off season if there is such a thing? Well, it's very similar to construction. Usually, you got a ready line, right? You know, and they try to keep everything there, and that's where they can plug in machines yeah. and where they start from every day. And the, the same principles, you know, apply 
try to protect the tires, get the fluid set right. Because you never know what the weather is going to be. Sometimes right. you plan for three months of winter and actually it's only a month. So those machines got to be ready to go yeah. at, at any time. Yeah. And you never know when the next big order is going to come through yeah. or you got a interstate that's starting up early or the frost left early. Yeah. You know, you got to have the machines ready to come out of storage and go. You know, this has been really interesting for me, guys. And we almost got a new idea for another podcast in terms of how do you, for the seasonal contractor, how do you come out of the, the cold weather and get ready for the warm weather? That's, that's for another time. <laughs> hey, if you've been listening to this, uh, you just we just gave you another reason why we're going to do another podcast probably. But thank you for listening. Uh, it's been my pleasure to be the host here with, with Lonnie and, and Jason. They don't get any better than these two guys. And if you're interested in other, other topics uh, that, that, they, that these guys particularly have spoken to, please feel free to go to uh, cat.com. Uh, and, and when you're there, look at the look up the, the, uh, the construction industries uh, title. You'll see something along the line in their front page there to give you a, a little shortcut to get to some of the archived podcasts. Or go to forkconstructionpros.com. This has been Brad Humphrey. Thank you for listening. Have a great year. Find out more information around the topics we covered during the Contractor's Best Friend podcast on the 4 Profit Matters page. Look for the link on the top of the 4 website.